one of the, the critical elements, one of the most common aspects of all the classic stories, whether we're talking about theater or movie or literature, is when just a common everyday person, a man or a woman, unexpectedly is called to be part of an adventure, to save the day, to do something that stretches them, something extraordinary. I'm thinking of characters like Frodo Baggins and Sam Ganges carrying that, that one ring to destroy it at Mount Doom. Thinking of a young orphan boy named Harry Potter discovering that he's a magician. Not only that, it will be his calling to defeat Lord Voldemort. Think of a young Arthur pulling a sword from a stone, later becoming king. Or Neo swallowing the red pill, leaving the matrix. An unexpected Luke Skywalker discovering he has the force. Katniss Everdeen leading a revolution. Or Peter Parker bit by a radioactive spider, discovering that with great power comes great responsibility. Joseph Campbell wrote, the hero's journey always begins with the call. One way or another, a guide must come to say, look, you're in a sleepy land. Wake, come on a trip. There is a whole aspect of your consciousness, your being, that's not been touched. So you're at home here? Well, there's not enough of you there. And so it starts. The Bible, like these stories that I've mentioned, are full of stories of ordinary, everyday, common people who are encountered by God, who calls them to do something extraordinary. I'm thinking about Noah and his family called to build a really big boat. I'm thinking about Abraham and Sarah called to parent a really big family. Or Joseph called to save nations from starvation. Moses called at the burning bush to be the deliverer for the Israelite slaves. The unexpected call on a young shepherd boy named David to become king. Or his son Solomon to build God's temple. Or a young virgin named Mary to be the mother of the Messiah or John the Baptist, to prepare the way of the Lord for the coming Messiah. T today, our, our sermon is focusing on the call of Jesus' 12 disciples. I know you're not here with me, but they're portrayed in banners all around our beautiful sanctuary. They, they are our primary focus, that story today. But here's the truth. We don't know much about most of them. In fact, we don't even know the call stories for most of them. They're just named, and that's about all we know, except for a little bit of tradition. So, so I don't want us to get totally focused on them. Ra rather, I'd like to use the 12 as a metaphor for what God does in the life of every Christian. Yes, they were called to be disciples, or sometimes we say apostles, but all of us are called. Every Christian is called. Before we are born, God knows who we are. God invests talents and abilities in each and every one of us. We, by virtue of our baptisms, are members of the body of Christ, and each part of the body has a different ability and function. God creates each of us with purpose. Every one of us have a calling. 
Theologians refer to it as the priesthood of all believers. This is how God continues to work in the world. Not always through direct intervention, but through people like you and me called to do our part to be an extension of God's work in the world. I mean, when you read the Bible, what is it? It's story after story after story of God working through people, and most of the time, unlikely people, unlikely, surprising candidates who God uses to save the world. And God's been doing this throughout the history of the church. Today we're talking about the 12 disciples, but it didn't stop with them. It included the martyrs of the early church the desert fathers and mothers, Saints Francis and Claire, Joan of Arc, Martin Luther and John Calvin of the Reformation, John and Charles Wesley of the Methodist tradition, Martin Luther King Jr., Dorothy Day, Mother Teresa, and I could go on and on and on. My point is, though today we're focusing on the story of of just a few, 12 I don't want us to think that the calling is only an extraordinary thing for rare individuals who who become portrayed on banners and sanctuaries. They represent all of us. God calls each and every one of us to do our part in the advancement of the kingdom here on earth. The artist and author Makoto Fujimori says, we are all chosen broken creatures, and Jesus has made us all into artists. Whether we use a brush or simply ride on a garbage truck, our stories are living stories of the kingdom that we write every day. Infused with the mystery of the great artist spirit, our stories can become a wide open adventure, part of the greatest story ever told. Now, there are some who are fortunate that they consider the work they do, and and I'm talking about their employment, what they do for a paycheck, that they consider that to be their calling. But, But you don't have to be paid for your calling. It doesn't have to be your employment. For some, their sense of calling is what they do as as a volunteer. For some, it's something they do on the side, a little passion project, a side hustle, if you will. Maybe it's a hobby. For some, it's, it's what they do at home, preparing a home for their family to live in, caring for children, maybe caring for an aging adult. All of that can be a calling. Some of us are fortunate that we can be clear that, that what I do would however I might do it, is my calling. God made me for this, even if we don't necessarily use the language of call. Some talk about like their life's work or their purpose or their, their passion. Or they might use the term vocation, which is Latin for calling. But the truth is some aren't so lucky. The truth is that for a lot of people, work is a challenge. It isn't fun. It's just something you do to earn a paycheck. They, they work for the weekend, so they, they can have a couple days off from work. They work for retirement when they don't have to work any longer. For some, the, the idea of their job being their calling is the furthest from their mind. 
Unfortunately for all of us, work can be challenging. We were made for work. The creation story says that God created us to be stewards of God's creation, to continue the creation process. But then, of course, we don't live in the perfect creation anymore, do we? After Adam and Eve ate the apple and after the curse, work, which continues to be our calling, became a challenge. It says in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, Cursed is the ground because of you, God speaking to Adam. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plant of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. All of us struggle with our work sometimes. All of us have those days where we're ready to to call it a day and head home. But I wonder if possibly that sometimes that frustration we have with our work, with our occupation, might be the fertile ground that God uses to plant the seeds of a calling. I'm thinking about being a fisherman, that that's your profession, but you've had too many nights when you've been casting a net on the water hour after hour and not caught a single fish. I'm thinking about maybe being a a tax collector and and knowing that the whole community hates you. Thinking about being a a religious or political zealot, facing a a force that you know that you can't beat. Of course, I'm talking about some of the disciples. Now, I don't know. James and John, Peter and Andrew may have loved fishing. They may have enjoyed every minute out on the lake. But there had to have been days that they didn't want to fix their nets one more time. Matthew may have enjoyed the the benefits of being a tax collector, but he may have struggled with the alienation of the isolation, knowing how hated he was. Simon the Zealot may have had deep religious and political convictions, but felt a sense of, of hopelessness. And what might that have done keeping him up at night? Maybe those were the the opportunities. Maybe those were the conditions that Jesus' call meant something, that they could do something with their life that felt more meaningful. So one day Jesus appears at the seashore. There's a crowd following him, and, and he feels a little crowded there at the water's edge, so he steps into a a stranger's boat. It happens to be a man named Simon who's been fishing all night and he's just mending his nets. When Jesus finishes speaking to the crowd, he turns to Simon who's still sitting in the boat and he says, you know, you'll push out a little bit from the shore. Row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Now I have to understand, Simon like his brother Andrew, like James and John, were professional fishermen. I'm sure their fathers had been fishermen. They had grown up fishing. They had been out on the lake all night long and hadn't caught a single fish. They had done the hard work of mending the nets and getting them ready for the next night's work. They were tired and I'm sure a little frustrated. And here's this teacher, this rabbi, telling them, 
why don't you drop your nets one more time? You don't drop your nets during the day. They knew better. But something about Jesus influenced them. They, they were willing. At least they didn't want to tell him no. So it says they dropped their nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. And Jesus looked at the four of them, just said, come with me. I will make you fishers of people. Likewise, Jesus went to Matthew at the tax collecting booth and said, follow me. And we assume he did that with many others, that whatever they were doing in their life, he, he just stopped them, said, enough of that. Come and follow me. Be part of what I'm doing. We, we know that Jesus must have done that many times because it, he wasn't just followed by 12. He was followed by, by many too many to name. But there was something unique about these 12. It says in Mark 3, 13 through 19, Jesus went up on the mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach, to have authority, to throw out demons. He appointed 12, Peter, a name he gave Simon, James and John, Zebedee's sons whom he nicknamed Sons of Thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Now, now we know that they aren't just the twelve. In fact, Jesus was also followed by some women. Luke 8, 1 through 3 says, Jesus traveled through the cities and villages, preaching and proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. The twelve were with him along with some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. You see, they had a calling too. In a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about 72 disciples that Jesus sent out. We don't even know their names, and we know there were others that heard the call and responded. You see, Jesus didn't just call the 12 to be an exclusive ministry. There was a uniqueness to their ministry. Jesus seems to have called and called and called. And people followed in different ways and fulfilled different functions. More than one occasion, Jesus said, the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Sometimes the call was specific and particular, and sometimes it was more general for everyone. It was both. In fact, there's a story where the disciples seem to encounter a stranger who's driving out demons in Jesus' name, and they told him to stop. He wasn't one of them. But when they told Jesus, he says, don't, don't ever stop somebody like that. Whoever isn't against us is for us. In other words, we need everybody. There's enough work to go around. Everyone can be part of this. Eugene Cho once said, the first disciples of Jesus were an eclectic mixture of people from various backgrounds, stories, genealogies, even political inclinations. And yet Jesus chose them 
Discipleship is not for the faint of heart, but Jesus has room and space for everyone. We, we know that following his death and resurrection, the 12 carried the gospel through all the world. It says in Acts 1.8, witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But it wasn't just the 12. All of Jesus' followers went and told people about what they had seen and heard regardless of their former professions, regardless of their their training or credentials. They went out beyond any territory they had, had, had visited before. And they told people about Jesus, resurrected from the dead. They established churches. They started a movement. And more and more people heard the call, and more and more people told people about Jesus, and more and more churches were established, and so forth and so on. And we are here today watching a service online because they heard the call, and they shared the gospel, and others heard the call and shared the gospel. And the work continues generation after generation after generation. Through the centuries, through the millennia, Jesus has called countless pastors and priests and evangelists and missionaries and monks and nuns and artists and musicians and poets and scholars and clergy and laity and every kind of worker there is to advance the kingdom, that more of heaven can come on earth, which is God's will. God's call isn't just about working in a church. It's not just about working in this kind of profession, but not that kind of profession. It's not about earning a paycheck. God's call doesn't require a voice from heaven or a miracle or a burning bush. God's call is about knowing that what you do in this world, whether it be your paid work or your volunteer work or your 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 work you just do for pure passion, that whatever it is, it's connected to what God is doing. Calling is about purpose and meaning and value. Calling is about knowing that you have been invested with a unique set of gifts and abilities. Calling is about discovering your passion. It's about doing your little part and your little place of the earth to make it a little more like heaven. Calling is about expanding goodness and fairness and justice and beauty. Goodness ultimately is about serving. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it for a greater cause. Calling is about letting God use you and your talents and your abilities and your experiences and your education whether it be in a pulpit or a classroom or a theater or a courtroom or a kitchen or a doctor's office or in a garage or in a garden or an art studio, whatever the case may be. The calling doesn't have to be stereotypically holy or religious. It's simply knowing that you are doing what you can. You're doing your part to be part of God's work in the kingdom. Bishop Michael Curry says, our task is to do our task, not to do every task needed for progress to happen. When we accept that, we free ourselves to do what we can with the time and resources we have. 
the distance between you and a historic change maker such as Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama or Madame Curie or Abe Lincoln is not so great as you think. Your job is to do your job as theirs was to do theirs. So friends, what's your calling? Is your work, your paid work, your volunteer work, the work you do at your home, the work you do here at church, do you understand it to be God's call to be part of God's work in the world? Or is there a call maybe that you've been resisting? Maybe this morning would be an opportunity to pause, to pray, to listen. God, how do you want to use me? Here I am. What's my calling?